Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adult Child of Dysfunction. Today, we have with us a special guest. Her name is Bridget Gildemaster. Bridget is a two-time best-selling international author and public speaker. Through her life-altering experiences, Bridget has found a passion to help others through their unexpected life changes. As an impactful author and a keynote speaker for many audiences, both in person and virtually, she makes every effort to help women walk through the transition of finding out who they are now and how to let go of old dreams that aren't serving them anymore. She also handles triggers that make us fear the future, and most importantly, she wants all women to be comfortable in their identity and value who they are, even when they feel broken and lost in their situations. Wow, couldn't have said that any better myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bridget. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So so we were lucky enough to have a conversation, I believe, last week where I was on your (laughs) platform, so this is super fun. But tell my audience a little bit about you. Sure, of course. So yeah, I'm Bridget Gildemaster. I um, am a single mom of four kids is my basic life <laughs> all day. Um, but my, for me, I, you know, I love to tell my story because I feel like other people can resonate with it. And I feel how that's super impactful. And so the biggest thing for me is, you know, I grew up in a high control religion. And so there were very specific rules, very specific do's and don'ts to life. And if you do these things, you'll have a good life and (laughs) you'll be able to, you know, live the American dream, so to speak. And so uh, I tried doing all that and got married at a young age, 21. I got pregnant right pretty pretty right away um I did have a miscarriage before him but um you know found out he was actually a heart baby um about 20 weeks in and so that was you know a big earth-shattering thing for me to know that oh life isn't as perfect these things kept happening um and but you know struggles happen and we're gonna get through it and God is good and you know, keep pushing forward. Um, and then, so as, as I was journeying through that experience, um, me and my husband, we, um, we had gone through marital counseling and we had, um, it had come out that he had a porn addiction. And so I had, you know, been, it had been asked of me that he, um, you know, um, stopped and if I was okay with that and all, all the typical counseling things, And, you know, of course, naively, I was like, yeah, no problem. We'll be, we'll be fine. We'll get through it. And he didn't, obviously. So um, it was a struggle constantly. It was, you know, a problem within three weeks into our marriage. And so being the good wife, you know, just kept juggling that, kept juggling everything medically, was learning with my kid, pushing forward. And finally, I just, 
it was so mentally taxing on me that we went to um, counseling and um, it seemed great. It seemed like, you know, we'd go, he'd listen, he'd share, he'd dig deeper, he'd go through all the motions. But then as the week went by, we were right back to where we were, you know, fighting or, you know, him being dissatisfied, grumpy, you know, all the things, all the mental mind games. And me being who I am, don't I don't really uh, back down. And so I kept pushing like there's got to be a bigger reason why you say these things. But then this happens over here. And so uh, finally, he confessed to me that he had a um, had sexual desires towards my one year old daughter at the time. So yeah, so we um, I left within a week, Um, we just packed up I had support from friends and family um, to leave and to help me do that. And I was just, I just knew that line was in the sand for me. I didn't really know what the biblical grounds for that kind of a divorce was, but I knew it wasn't for me. I didn't care anymore at that point. And sure enough, I did. I had backlash from my church saying I didn't have grounds for divorce. He hadn't, you know, cheated on me. And even then I should try to forgive him if it had been just cheating, just cheating um, and all of that. And I was just like, no. And so I was, you know, it was thrown around and tossed around that I'd be put up for excommunication, which at the time was really important to me because this is the church I grew up in, you know, like the denomination, the all the beliefs I had had. And so I ended up um, being able to get another church involved and wasn't, they were more understanding um, and saw that, you know, this is not how you should live. But even with that, it was a good year after my divorce. I was still asked by one of the elders, you know, is there any chance of getting back together with the father? And so all of that, <laughs> like, has, you know, this was, I'll, it would have been 10 years in January, we would have been married. And so it's been a journey of just like going from that people pleasing person, the person who, you know, here's the right answers and here's how life's going to look, the dream, um, being that perfect wife and woman to life throws you curveballs and it's okay and life is totally messy and that's what's beautiful about life not the picture perfect follow the rules kind of lifestyle exactly so tell me I mean I know we talked about this already but people that are listening have not heard your story but you said you grew up in a very religiously controlling atmosphere so talk a little bit about that Yeah, so I grew up um, Reformed Presbyterian, which I'm still learning to the depths of everything that involved. But like, you know, so very much children are, you know, to be immediately obedient. Um, That was very much the case. Obviously, the 90s, so spanking was still very normal, um, even in that sense. Um, And to a point of, you know, abuse in some families. And so there was just that, that need for instant obedience, which led to, you know, me not having my own voice. Even to this day, I've realized the ramifications of that, of me not viewing myself as an adult because I've never even was treated as a valued human because you're a child, you know, never having that connection with, you know, other humans because you're a child. And so um, also growing up in the reformed faith, they believe that children are, you know, vipers they're sinful human beings from conception they are just horrible wicked beings you know everything they do is needs to be beaten out of them and trained trained into being adults 
And so you have no, you know, you just think you're horrible from a very young age. You just think you have to fight your sinful nature constantly that, you know, any desire of the heart or the mind is just wicked and you don't know yourself. And so that intuition is also beaten out of you both physically and verbally and within yourself, because obviously you start telling yourself those same things about, you know, oh, I want this or like this. No, I can't because that's bad. You know, if I really want it, it must be bad because I'm, I have a simple heart, you know? And so there were those ramifications, um, grew up in purity culture. So, you know, as a woman, I was objectified because it was my responsibility to dress appropriately. It was my responsibility to act a certain way, say certain things, be ladylike. It was my fault if a man stumbled, you know, very much, if a woman got raped, it was her fault because, well, what did she do to, deserve, you know, not necessarily deserve that. Like there was sympathy there, um, but definitely, yeah, well, we all know how she dressed or behaved or who she hung out with or, you know, it was clearly her fault in some undertone way. Even um, there was that there was the quiverful movement, you know, children are a blessing and they are, but it was always very much understood. The more you had the merrier, um, the, you know, the more blessed you were because children were, you know, so you're supposed to have a lot of them, but they, but they're not good. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. To have a lot of these evil little creatures so we can beat them in submission to be good little adults. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even though the circles I was in didn't hold too much of, you know, like the very specific religions that do say those things, this was, it was very much there and very much apparent for, for all those reasons. I know there's even worse, maybe isn't the best word, but um, more high control than what I was even in where they would actually say that they were building an army. They were, you know, this is, we, we had children to go out and save other people and, you know, go convert them and which, you know, the more people who know about Jesus, the better, right? But under those circumstances, when you can't even connect with one child on a very intimate level to heal, to have them grow up and be a much emotionally mature adult, right? How can you manage twelve? You know? Yeah, no, unbelievable. And just the fact that, like you said, I mean, they're they're asking adults to go out and just have these children and have these children, and you can't when you grow up with an emotionally negligent parents you become a dysfunctional adult that's just the nature of the beast I mean it just stands to reason like you said you don't know that connection you've never felt that connection as a child um what when you went to the church so when you discovered your husband had this porn addiction and the fear I can't even imagine the crazy amount of fear when he said I have feelings towards our one-year-old daughter, how did the church rationalize that? Well, um, they take parts of the Bible that they want to very literally, <laughs> and that there's nowhere in the Bible where it says if your child or your husband's a pedophile, you're allowed to leave. That you know, it really ties in with the the concept of the emotions. You know, we emotion all emotions were bad, right? Because they're from the heart, and the heart is sinful, or however that you know, like that's how they would have spun that. And so, you know, in in learning that or in having that mentality, it was there was no abuse was very much he hits you. That's the only reason. 
versus, you know, there is no such thing as sexual abuse in a marriage, right? There, that wasn't a thing for them. Verbal abuse, you know, toxicity, um, gaslighting, none of that would have been grounds for divorce for them because it didn't say that in the Bible. Whereas, no, it says abuse. That is a whole spectrum of, of things. Wow. And there's nothing anywhere about incest. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, it, it is just so mind boggling because yeah, I mean, there are other scriptures they'll take and, you know, well, if you read this in context, it means this and that, and yeah, God clearly speaks against, you know, all these other things. So why doesn't it apply in marriage? It makes no sense. You know, it even talks about, you know, there we would, we'd be told, you know, friendships, different, you know, these are good friends. These are bad friends. Obviously it talks about all of that, but it never came into the marriage. It never was applied to the marriage as a, you know, as a friendship, as a partnership for what it was. Well, it must be confusing for you too, being a young adult. So now you're at this point, what, 22, when this is all starting and you're having to go, okay, I've been raised in this religion forever. I believe in Jesus. I think, you know, like that's, that's cool. But yet this is, I mean, I just can't even imagine the amount of confusion going through your head. And you clearly, you clearly still love Jesus. I mean, like you don't, it's not like you turned your back on that. It's, I feel like the church really turned their back on you is how I feel. Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, there's so much where they, yeah, being raised in that, you don't know the opposing side, except for what they've told you or the opposing sides, you know, like. And I, and it, you know, it's very interesting because I grew up homeschooled and all the things. And so I had a wider worldview too, from history and stuff than most people, but it was still through the lens of what they told you was happening, what their, you know, what the beliefs were. And so, you know, even, even recently I've, you know, found out there are like, I can't remember the exact number, but you know, they're actually like, it's seven or 12 or something like that ways to interpret the gospel. And, you know, Growing up, it was like, this is the gospel, you know, and now realizing like I've read through them, I, I haven't studied them in depth now, but um, realizing that certain, I actually believe multiple or had believed multiple because they were used against you to behave a certain way because, because of the cross or how that, you know, for this scenario or that scenario. And it's like, well, is it, you know, what is it and how does this fit? So I still am on a very deep spiritual journey to find out what I believe because, you know, like, yeah, like you only had that one thought and now it's like, well, how does this actually fit into what I know now, you know, and what I've actually experienced. So you're in a different denomination of a church, I'm assuming. So I, I currently, yeah, I'm just searching. So searching. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, I have a, you know, I have, not been to church in a long time, but I think it's because the people in my world were hypocritical. They were not your, they were not, they were your do as I say, not as I do kind of person. And I'm like, don't, when I know the kind of person you are from the heart and in the heart, don't throw the Bible at me. Because yes, I can interpret it a million different ways. I'm an intelligent person, you know, and I've always said that you can make it say anything you want it to say if you interpret it differently. But You know, but I also feel like I didn't need to go to church to have my my relationship with Christ. 
you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's between me and him. (laughs) That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. And that's, you know, um, and a lot of religious trauma too comes from being raised in those cults where they believe they're the one true religion and you're right. And yeah, you have to go and convert everyone to what you believe. That was definitely me. Like we, you know, we know it, we got it figured out, even though, you know, it was humbly said, I'm sure we don't have everything figured out, but it was under time you know, tone of like, no, we've got it figured out. We know, <laughs> we know all of this. Yep, so. My way of the highway. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So when you started, when you got, you went, you got divorced, you went to the new church, everything, everything was good. Do you still have contact with your ex-husband or? Nope, I don't. So okay. um, there was for a while with, um, you know, financial support, different things like that. But, you know, it, as it just kept going down, it just isn't worth it. And so, you know, like, it's just, it's not worth it to go through those mind games to even have the connection. Um, Even the, I mean, the re-traumatization of whatever, you know, is so emotionally hard to go through. Uh, And you don't know where it's coming from, you know, and he, he's one of those who will use you know, words, he'll write letters or, you know, whatever. And so it just, when you can see through it, it's so hard to process, you know, I know, like, I know um, somebody else related it to me for like somebody going back home over Christmas, you know, like once you see through those, you know, dynamics of a, of a dysfunctional family, you can't just sit at the table and ignore it. You're, it's an inner toil that, will just be going on with you forever until you, until you, you know, you can step away and heal from that and come back later. But in that initiative, initial process, you can't, you can't do that to yourself. And so, you know, it, it just was never worth it. The money was never worth it. The, you know, the back and forth. And so we just make no. it work. It always has ever since. I don't, I don't blame you one bit because when you're talking about like you even thinking like to me, it's unfathomable that you would even consider, oh, I'm a bad person because I want to leave my husband who's having these sexual feelings about my one-year-old. Like, I'd be thinking I was a bad person because I'd be ready to kill him. I mean, mm-hmm. flat out. Like, that would be like, okay, I'm going to, ba- I'm about to be a bad person because I'm about to take a life. <laughs> yep. like, and that was my inner feelings, honestly. Yeah. Like, to me. It was just like, I hate it. I mean, I've struggled more with that of the hating feeling than anything because, you know, growing up with all those promises of marriage, you know, he was supposed to be the provider. He was supposed to, you know, do all these things too for me. And this is the way my life was supposed to go. So those not only got, you know, taken away, but now I also have the guilt and shame of being divorced, which, I mean, I don't have that anymore, but at the time it was super shameful. I'm 20. I wasn't even 25 and had three kids under two and a half, you know, and it was just like, oh my gosh. And so that was me. That was my identity. And I mean, I, and through that healing, obviously I sunk into it probably way harder than need be, but you know, like, yeah, so that, that was my feelings was uh, most of it was. And that's why I drew that line so hard, like for me to talk up against the pastors and the elders and people in order to say, no, I, I, this is just an FYI for you. I'm leaving. Right. You all booked, you know, that it was a lot for me. Um, But yeah, same feelings for sure. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And, and at that point it's like, God, why, why doesn't somebody get your back? 
Like somebody stand up and say, this is not right. Like somebody, but you're in a better place now. And that's awesome. I'm super excited. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it, I can't imagine the struggle. So what kind of work have you done to get over some of the stuff? Like what are, what are some things you do or have done? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much out there and everything works at a different time. I feel like too, but for me, the biggest healing came when I really deep dived into journaling. And so I, um, it actually was in, you know, process of trying to speak and write a book and stuff. But once I started, it became for me. And so I actually have like 12 to 15 chapters that are for my eyes only at this point, because they go so deep into, you know, just little details that happened. And I just had to type them out in full. Some of them I relived in depth, some of them I, you know, would say what happened and then what should have happened, what I should have done, what someone else should have done for me, or, you know, just all of that. And that was my biggest point in healing in my my journey, because I finally got stuff off my chest that had been, you know, you honestly, those guilt trips every day, you know, of this happened or that happened, were just gone. And I've never thought of them since. Like that was the biggest healing tool for me. Amazing. And I, you're not the first person that said that. I mean, I have journals and journals and journals and a lot of them, like you said, you know, was letting go of that guilt, letting go of that shame and just writing and those inner dialogues. And I can remember sitting down and literally like with your inner critic, when you're talking about your inner critic and it's going back and forth. And I can remember writing in my journal, you know, what he Mm -hmm. said. And then like, I see, you know, it was like, well, I said MP, it was my mean person. You know, it was, but it was like, okay, MP is writing back and it was back and forth. And just, you know, once you put that pen to paper, man, you never know what's coming out, but it's so free flowing and so healing. I love that you said that because you're not the first person. Like I, I love the journaling and people that say to me, I don't really know what to journal. I don't know how to start. or I don't know. You know, it doesn't really work for me. I'm like, I don't care if you go to chat GTP and say, what are some journal prompts? Like, how do I start journaling and just just start writing? Because it's so liberating and it becomes real. Like you said, you relive some of it while you were actually writing it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, yeah, exactly what you said. I used journal prompts, whatever it took, but I was up, you know, it was summer, it's springtime, summertime. So it's easy to be up at four or five in the morning before the kids were up. And, you know, at first things would flow, but yeah, then I use journal prompts and just start. I'm, if you've ever heard of the concept brain dumping, I used it very similar to that. So yeah, you just start with random nonsense and then it will flow. Like I, cause you do, you feel that way. Oh no, we're good. We're good. There's nothing to talk about nothing today. And, but once you get those surface layer stuff out, the deep stuff is there and it, and it always will be till you do something, whether it is journaling or another tool to get it out. So now you're a speaker, you speak podcasts, obviously, and you also do uh, keynote speaking. What is your topic that you talk about on keynote? Yeah. So my keynote speech is about your value and your worth and how, you know, and, and boundaries and all, all of it that comes together to if you don't see yourself valuable, no one else will. Only you bring your own value to the room. And, you know, it's just an empowerment for, for all, specifically women. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And I love even, you know, even taking that to the younger women. I mean, you know, young teens and, and college age women, just because 
so many are still there. It's, it's amazing to me. Cause I feel like I grew up in a, in a time or like, I thought I grew up in a time where it was like free, you know, and like, you're not, it wasn't that, that idealized women that they aren't, that they don't have a voice. You know what I mean? I, you, you forget that that still exists out there because in so many places it doesn't, but yes, yeah, so many cultures and so many groups are the women is still so submissive. And it's one thing to be told how to act, but it's another thing to be told what to think and what to say and what to believe, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's, that's a whole nother ball game. Really? It really is because I mean, and really we grow, we are in a patriarchal society all, all in of itself, you know, we do still function that way in so many ways, you know? And so it is, it is hard to, you know, it's hard to like, be like, Oh, it's this religion that was this way when, you know, even, you know, I've met atheists who are like, Oh yeah, I grew up just like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It's very hard. So. Yep. And it's, Yeah. But it's, it's so important. It's so freeing once you finally have a voice, right? Yeah. Do you remember the first couple days when you left? What was it like? Um, oh, I don't know if I've dug into those ones yet. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, no, you're okay. No. Um, I mean, it was the, those years, those actually, those first couple of years are still moments that are very surreal me because they like my whole reality was being flipped and I was the flipper you know um Mm -hmm. even though I had support in certain ways no one else was standing next to me with a sword in their hand fighting as hard as I was and so and when I was told that women never should fight you know (laughs) should never be that person and so I was you know I was doing the table flipping so to speak you know and yeah like there, there are still so many layers to everything and tapping into those. I think my biggest thing lately has been the childhood stuff and realizing how I even got to that place and what brought me to being that submissive 22 year old, because I think in a lot of that is because I am a parent now and my eldest is eight and I remember being eight and trying to work through that. And, oh my gosh, my girls are very much, it's like looking in a mirror and I'm, you know, trying to figure out those things, like not to squash their voice, but at the same time, we got to get in the car. It's, you know, <laughs> right, right. And so those are my inner struggles right now. And like things I'm relearning and living through. I know, I know, yeah, those later years are yet to come to work through more. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, you figure like you, you know, boundaries, you talk about boundaries and you had such strict ones, like such cut and dry ones with no negotiation, where Mm -hmm. there is still negotiation when you have a child and you're trying to raise a child that has a healthy voice and learns how to set healthy boundaries and there is negotiation in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of the other way. I had zero. I was left basically unattended till, you know, I mean, as far as structure, completely mm-hmm. unattended. So it was a whole different ballgame with me. Like you're trying to loosen your boundaries. And I, I, as a new mother, was trying to actually learn how to establish a boundary or what it even meant. So it's yeah. definitely some some manipulation both ways, you know, trying to figure it out, trying to navigate Mm -hmm. it because it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. 
Life is, it but is. like you said, life is fun. That's what makes it different. That's what, make, you know, you're, you're curious now. Now you said you're like, I'm just cu- curious and you can yeah. go. I always tell people just go at life when you do something or act something or say something, just look at it with curiosity because there's a reason. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's, and what beauty in that is, you know, Christ has come and he has, you know, made, you know, we're whole as we are. And mm-hmm. so we have, we do have that freedom. He is holding us in that healing journey. We're, we're allowed to, you know, maybe we don't have it right right now and we're learning and growing and processing and we're allowed to be angry and we're allowed to feel everything that we need to feel. There's nothing wrong with anything we feel. It's perfect. Like, it's just so beautiful. So. I love it. I love that. And then so I said, everything you have is inside of you. And then it's like life happens and it squashes it down and it takes away the voice and it takes away how you're feeling. And so- as a 21 year old, I'm just picturing you going into this from this totally controlling, submissive kind of environment and ready for this world. How did you like, what were your first couple years? Like you said, you knew in three weeks after being married, right? That there was some issues there. What were yep. your signs? Um. Well, so he would, I mean, obviously new bride. So, in, you know, saved myself for marriage, obviously, because that's what girls do. And so, you know, that was me. And so I wasn't working. I was completely dedicated to being a housewife. And yeah, so, you know, in our religion, women don't have sexual desires, obviously, that's all men. But you know, like, as a young bride, you know, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted my husband, all the things. But so yeah, he, he would come home and he didn't want to have sex with me. He, you know, whatever. And, you know, started asking questions. Well, come to find out he had masturbated at work and, you know, um, actually found, found out mastered four and five times a day at work. Like, so actually a, a huge problem, a huge, huge problem. And so that, that was, you know, so I would just go to bed, cry, just go to bed crying wow. and feeling, you know, obviously so abandoned and unloved and, you know, um, you, um, uh, uh, can't think of the word I'm looking for, but, you know, and just, and it was just a repeated cycle after that. Yeah. And obviously I had no idea about learning cycles of, you know, harm that way, you know, after it would have happened so often. I mean, I should have left within a few months of our marriage. If, right. You know, I've known this is a repeated cycle. You know, he says he's going to change. It's not, and he's clearly not even trying to. And then there was obviously other, you know, um, things of gaslighting and, you know, um, telling of uh, trying to impress on me a different reality of, you know, well, he had to think of other women on his drive home just so he'd be, you know, in the mood for me, um, you know, down to, you know, well, the dishes weren't all done when I came home. And so, you know, that just bothers me so much that he didn't want to have sex with me, you know, and me, the way we were, you know, there was nothing, I knew nothing of, anything honestly it's very naive and so well men are different men are wired differently than women you know I just must be very unique because I want my husband you know at all apparently you know did you have the support of your mother or did you not really talk to her until you had already made your decision to leave um I did actually um when uh we started going to counseling I opened up to my parents about what was going on and you know was able to have them 
as a confidant, but even they, you know, they really didn't know much they than I did, even know about boundaries or anything. So yeah. it was really, they were supportive and always have been and whatnot, but have no more answers than I did, you know, with handling something like that. So I wouldn't know how to do that. I wouldn't know. I would have no idea, but I mean, especially since you grew up feeling unvalidated, you talk about just rubbing salt in a wound. I mean, but it's your normal at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, so you think it's going to be different when you get married and it was no different than still being at home, you know, or mm -hmm. growing up. That's mm, wow. Well, I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing now. It's good that you can talk and be a voice. And I love it. Absolutely love it. So if people do, so what do you do now for work? Do you work in this realm? Yes. Yeah, so um, I don't do coaching or anything like that yet. Um, many people have asked me to, I just, juggling of life. It's not in the cards for me right now. Um, I do. I talk to people all the time though. I'm always willing to sit down over coffee and, you know, talk through things with a friend and be that person. If, you know, if I can, like it just, it really is. If I had just known simply what toxicity was simply what gaslighting looks like, my whole life would look so much different. Like mm. it's a, I remember reading Facebook posts of, this toxicity in a partnership. And it was just like, it was jaw dropping to me. And so I just, if I can be that for one person to where they can recognize a cycle, <laughs> you know, three years sooner then I, you know, I want to be that and oh. see that their life completely changed. So I, yeah. absolutely, I absolutely love that. I said that I, I've been coaching people my whole life and it wasn't until just recently that I'm like, maybe I ought to share it with some more people, you know? I absolutely love that though. So if someone wanted to reach out and just talk to you or chat, how, how would they reach you? Yeah. So you can find me on pretty much every social media. I'm most active though on Facebook and Instagram, um, LinkedIn too, I guess. Um, and it's just my name, Bridget Gildemaster. So. Okay. And I'll put, drop that in the show notes anyway. So anybody can reach out to you. And then Bridget, can you leave your, our listeners with one piece of advice or some words of wisdom? If you could tell them anything or if somebody resonates with what they're hearing, thinks they're in a similar situation, what is something you would tell them? Um, just what my mission is, is that you are so valuable the way you are. You are absolutely perfect. And when you're feeling that confu like confused, unworthy, like something is wrong and off, believe yourself and follow that intuition until you have an answer. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming, Bridget. Yes. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for everybody out there listening, there you have it. Okay. It can't be that bad. You can get through it. You can, there is hope. You have everything that you need right inside of you. You just have to learn how to tap into it. Thanks again. And we will see you in another episode. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, 
Keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.